Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, the Premier started announcing the second wave strategy yesterday. Was it worth the wait? Should we be blaming the rising number of COVID-19 cases on these party animals? We'll chat with a local doctor about that. Roughly one in ten public school students in Hamilton are not wearing masks in class, and the teachers there are very concerned. We'll discuss. And last night, London City Council had several members of the public who are anti-maskers. We'll give you the lowdown on that rather heated exchange. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Sparks have been flying during question period, as you might have expected. Tempers are a little flared, I'm sure, because of COVID-19. And, uh, well, you know, name-calling back and forth between uh, the Premier and, of course, uh, opposition leader Andrea Horvath. Uh, Ms. Horvath uh, accusing the Premier of being absent uh, during the uh, long-term care facility. Where's all the commitment that you were going to make to this? Uh, the, the Premier fired back and said that uh, she was acting like an armchair quarterback, a Monday morning quarterback. Uh, and, uh, well, on and on it goes. I want to bring Richard Brennan, a retired journalist with the Toronto Star, who covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for so many years, in on the conversation. Uh, Badger, just another day at the office with these two? Well, it is, but I think what we're seeing, Bill, is, uh, you know, uh, these, as these tempers flare, we are seeing that uh, a certain exasperation by the the Premier. I mean, he's he's been uh, dealing with this and trying to do what the government can for quite a while, and now the numbers are going up dramatically, as you well know. And I just think that he's feeling the pressure. There's no question about it. I mean, what we're seeing now is not, you know, Uncle Doug. We're seeing pugnacious Doug, and it's, and it's certainly a, a, a symptom of just not, like, losing control. Uh, he's he's doing what he can or doing what the government can. Some would say something maybe a little too late, but regardless of that, they just, uh, it, the numbers are going up, and so that, he, he just, uh, I think he's losing, he sees that he's losing control of it, and there's not much he can do about it. Yeah, and I, I know your friend Rob Benzie wrote about this in the Star. Uh, and there's another incident too. Of course, he got into an, a bit of a tuffle with the uh, the Speaker of the House, Ted Arnott, uh, about decorum and, and yelling things out. And he was asked to retract the statement. And uh, there was a back and forth there too. Uh, and your point's well taken. I mean, I, I think as, as people that have watched uh, some of the daily reports that the Premier has been giving uh, through the course of this COVID thing, I uh, have remarked about the, the calm demeanor. That, you know, he's concerned, certainly, but he was, you know, trying to be cool about this whole thing. Uh, but he has decidedly uh, become more edgy over the last two or three days. As we've seen him, anytime he's making any sort of public announcement or any public observation about what's going on, he's clearly bothered by these numbers and uh, and, and maybe frustrated about how to handle this. Well, if you know, like we are, Bill and your, your listeners, when we see something like that gathering of uh, 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 motorheads uh, in Ancaster. And you look and go, and you just scratch your head and go, "What are you thinking? What, what's going on here?" We, we told you over and over and over again that you know this isn't the kind of behavior that is going to keep a cap on this stuff. And I, I you know, he's mentioned it, and I think it's those kind of thing, the backyard parties, and that. And he's going, he's you know, kind of at the point I think is just throwing up his hands, as are a lot of people, and saying. Like, what do we have to do to get this message through to you? And, and uh, you know, uh, Horvath is taking, uh, is <laughs> taking advantage of this. I, you know, I mean, her questions were 
quite right. You know, but, you know, she has found that he's getting a little, uh, you know, a tender, and she's finding, you know, where she can needle him, and that's making him go off. So, I mean, that's what an opposite. I mean, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a fighter. If you know somebody's got a weakness, you're going to go for that weakness. Mm-hmm. And that's what she's doing. And she knows that he's, you know, got a short temper these days, and, and, and she's taking advantage of it. And it makes him look like, it makes, you know, it, it's a kind of reminiscent of, of what he was like when he first got in government. And he was always looking for a fight. And then the COVID hit, and then we got, you know, we got a different uh, Doug Ford. And now we're seeing a return to that. And she's taking, like I say, taking advantage of it. And, then, you know, I, I can't. Blamer, she's the opposition leader, and that's what her job is. Well, and I understand that you know there are certainly some concerns about style, but I mean we've seen all kinds of style, and you're right. I mean, you know, sometimes you want to poke the bear. That's what you do is you when you're in opposition. Uh, and her point was well taken. I mean, she was chiding him about the long-term care situation here, and we've talked with people that are in that industry and, and, and who, of course, have loved ones who are uh, residents in some of those places. And well, these rising numbers, Richard, as you know, th- there's a lot of concern about that. Like, what have you done? You know, he did promise he was going to do all sorts of reform. He was going to offer more money, more protection. Uh, you know, we talked to some people from CARP the other day, and uh, and they're saying, look, not much has been done at all. Uh, and if this thing starts to spread like it did before, it, it could be... Well, you know, fatalistic for an awful lot of people. Well, as you well know, Bill, that they asked people were uh, urging him to have a public inquiry into how it came to be that we had so many people die and get sick and in long-term cares. And he said that they they didn't want that. And they and it's and uh, Keith Leslie, a former uh, retired now of the Canadian Press, mm-hmm. had something in the spec the, uh, this week where he, he said, you know, it's this. Invest, so-called investigation has turned into a backroom gathering where, you know, they're apparently talking to people about what went wrong, wrong but the public has no idea what, what's happening or what we're going to learn from this because it's all being done in secret or in private. Which is not what we were expecting, not what we were hoping for, no. and certainly not what the Premier said he was going to do. No, he, he said that you know people would be able to have their input, and according to uh, according to Mr. Leslie's column, that has not happened. So there's there's good reason for the opposition leader to bring this you know to the attention of the premier and say, okay, what have you, what's happening? What have you done? What what uh, you know efforts have you made to make sure you've taken to make sure that this doesn't happen again? And we don't know at this point whether there has been anything. Well, and to your point, uh, I mean, you understand how these things are prepared. You've been watching uh, Question Period for God knows how many years now. Uh, he knew this was coming. He knew because Andrea Horvath said that when they got back into the legislature, they were going to go after him about long-term care and, and some of the concerns that are being raised, you know, working conditions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's not as if this came out of the blue. I, I mean, you know, there should have been some preparation and, and somebody in that office that could say, well, here are your talking points or something. But... Uh, again, you're right. I mean, instead of showing the you know the the steady hand of leadership here, you start reverting back to name calling, which is counterproductive to everything. Well, yeah, that that isn't what the public wants right now. They don't want any. They don't want this politicking. They just want uh, the government to take charge in any way they have to to make sure that this doesn't happen. When 
we've, no, we've known for a long time, the scientists, the professionals have told us that there was going to be a second wave. That should come as no surprise to anyone. And, and I think the and people, you know, looking at this and saying, well, how come the government seems to be caught flat-footed on this? Now, whether they are or not, it remains to be seen. Like, you know, I mean, it's still early days, but it it seems to seems to me that you know, in you know, behavior by the premier seems to show that the the government just wasn't ready for this. And I don't know how that could be when we were told from months ago that this was going to happen. And his so-called plan for a COVID plan that they're going to trickle out over the next several days or weeks. What kind of plan is that? I mean, well, he, got, he took a lot of heat for that yesterday, of talking about uh, uh, this massive uh, flu immunization, which I'm totally in favor of, by the way. Oh, I think absolutely. that's a great idea. Uh, but a lot of doctors are scratching their heads and say, what's that got to do with COVID-19? I mean, certainly we do want to protect the population from that, but what, where's your COVID strategy? Because uh, that vaccine's not going to do any good uh, against COVID. And, and their answer to that was, well, you know, more to come. Well, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of waiting. Are you, are you, are you you're going to go home at the end of the day and think something up for tomorrow? I mean, we're looking for a strategy here. And, and uh, I, 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 he took a lot of heat. I'm willing to cut him a little bit of slack and say, okay, fine, the flu vaccine is a great idea. Let's do that because we all need to be vaccinated about that. Uh, but at the same time, when we see these rising COVID numbers, uh, we were expecting to hear something, uh, not hopefully what Boris Johnson did yesterday where he says we're going to start shutting the economy down again or at least reducing some of the hours and things like that. Uh, but something to say, look, at, we're taking this sim seriously. Uh, you can tell by the look on his face he's taking it seriously, but we haven't heard any strategy yet. Yeah, what are we going to be told tomorrow or today that yeah. we should be eating chicken soup? I mean, it's a bit exasperating because everybody was hoping that there would be, here's what's going to happen. You know, if we, you know, we reach a certain number that we're going to have to go back to stage two, or back to stage one, to it will do whatever we have to, to you know, uh, make sure that this doesn't get any worse. We don't know. We, we and I mean, we, the public deserves to know what's happening, what they're going to do, and we, we certainly have no inkling of that right now. I mean, as you said, the flu, you know, the flu vaccinations, fine. That's you know, everybody should take advantage of that. But that's not going to deal with the COVID outbreak. Well, like I say, he's got another one today. We'll see what he announces on that one. Uh, Badger, as always, thanks so much for this. Always great to get your perspective on this. Okay, Bill, you look after yourself. You betcha. You too. Stay well. Richard okay. Brennan, of course, retired journalist who has uh, seen this kind of activity at Queen's Park for many, many years. And we'll uh, see what the uh, the next announcement is. They say they're going to roll it out in dribs and drabs over the next little while. But uh, in the meantime, the numbers continue to rise, which is somewhat surprising. And uh, there are a lot of people pointing fingers uh, and saying, you know why the numbers are going up? It's because of those crazy kids, those crazy university and high school students that are doing all these weird things, you know, these party animals. Uh, well, like what we saw in Ancaster over the weekend with that car rally, the streetcar rally uh, that attracted, we're told, over 500 different vehicles and no social distancing, very few masks, if anything. Uh, and, of course, the parties. And we've seen the spike at Western University over the last little while. And I know the city of London and Western, of course, responded in kind. But are those students, are those people of that age group are getting a bad rap for this? 
Uh, it's become a debate and a big debate on social media these days. Uh, to get some clarification on this, we're pleased to welcome to the program Dr. Zane Shagla, who is an infectious disease specialist at St. Joseph's Hospital, also an associate professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases at McMaster University. Doctor, thank you so much for the time. I'm glad you could join us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I saw a couple of your tweets in response to some of the comments that were being made here, uh, saying that we can stop this narrative. It's not just parties. The Windsor case was tracing family to getting together. Ottawa was a secondary to a cottage. Western was a student watching basketball with friends. Uh, are these really just uh, carefree, uh, you know, students who don't give a damn about anything else, or are they just placed in a somewhat precarious position because of, of their lifestyle and what they're doing? Yeah, I, I think you got it, right? Like, I, it's very easy, and I think all of us would love to, to say, oh, you know, it's the students, it's the parties, and unfortunately, I think the province did not discourage this kind of mentality. But at the end of the day, we're seeing case clusters that are not just, you know, students partying. We're seeing case clusters like a family who got together with another family and had a sleepover and then had multiple transmission events that spread through workplaces, gyms, and other places. We saw that Ottawa cluster where it was a bunch of people that went to a cottage and then came home. And in fact, 40 people got infected from that, including a couple of people that uh, ended up in the hospital. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a narrative to say that, yes, it's these large parties and we're going to cut gathering limits and, and try to deal with that. But in reality, it's young people being infected, but it's young families, it's young people with roommates, it's young people that are studying and trying to go to the library. It's all different types of young people that are being infected. Uh, and it's, the, the solution isn't as simple as shutting down the parties. It's everyone kind of doing their introspective look at where they can limit their exposures to others or at least make it safe. It's it's a different lifestyle, and I think we have to put this in perspective. And I know there's some people that, that are just being reckless. We get that. Uh, but, you know, it, we're talking about university and college students uh, going back to campuses in some cases, or at least to the cities anyway. I know there's going to be some online learning. But there are things like housing rules with roommates. Uh, there was a tragic story. I don't know if you saw a doctor the other day about a, a football player uh, in Pittsburgh, mm. Pennsylvania, uh, who died after only three days being exposed. This is a guy who had had two physicals. He was in fabulous condition. Mm. Uh, but he got to the, to the college he was attending, uh, and his roommate was coughing and sneezing. Well, two, you know, six days later, he's dead. From COVID-19. Well, that's because, let's face it, when you go into university situations like that, not everybody can afford to have their own apartment. Usually you have roommates, and you, so you're exposing yourself. Uh, those students who need money to pay for their tuition and their books, etc., oftentimes have to take, uh, well, some of the jobs that are more risky, like, you know, working in, you know, in grocery stores and things of that nature, and cashiers, that puts them at a higher risk. So, I mean, mm. we're, we're sort of responsible for placing them in, in a rather precarious position sometimes. And I think all of us remember being students and, and young people. Remember, you know, we're often not, you know, in a relationship at that point or long-term relationship. We're often distant from our uh, parents. And so, you know, you, it's not a, a great existence to be living alone or with a single roommate. You know, unfortunately, with younger people, other people being a part of their social networks is incredibly important to their mental health and well-being. The way they interact with the world and the way they, they deal with the world is often with their friends as, as part of that, that structure. And to, again, expect young people um, to, to say you can't get a, together with anyone forever for the next year or two, you know, it, it has downstream consequences. And just to simply point the finger at them and say, you know, you, you didn't follow the rules 
in the context of people that are really suffering from from the the anxiety and the the stigma and 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 everything to deal with COVID nineteen, um, you know, it, it's it's very difficult for that population. And again, shaming them in, in the press and saying you shouldn't have done this when people have the ability to have stable housing, stable close relationships in their own home. You know, it, it, it's a very different standpoint. A lot of us have our biases, but it's, it's it, you know, I think to, to get a, a more holistic look, you have to really put yourselves in the shoes of someone that age uh, and, and really the exposures they have as part of just normal life and the expectations on them to essentially cut them off. And, and there, as I say, I mean, it's a different situation. As I understand it, I think this, this, the Western students, and it went from about 4 to 25 pretty quickly, uh, but that was not on campus. That, that was, well, they were living somewhere in downtown London, uh, right around Richmond and uh, Street, I guess, where the, and, and Oxford, where there's an awful lot of night spots. Uh, so that's there. Uh, and and I, I, the, then there's the flagrant situation of Ancaster, you know, with that car rally. Mm. You know, those, those people were just irresponsible. That was yeah. peer, peer pressure. And, and, you know, they, they knew better and they just didn't care about that. But I, I, I get your point, and I, I share uh, your concern about this, that you can't just point to that demographic and say, well, it's their fault that the numbers are starting to spike. Uh, and maybe it is, you know, the numbers do show that that demographic seems to be having more cases right now. But, doctor, I know people that are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old that are doing the exact same thing and said, I'm tired of this isolation. I'm going to expand my bubble, even though I've been told I shouldn't really do that. But I'm tired. I haven't seen so-and-so for months now. Let's get together. Well, that's a risk. And, and you know, th- maybe they're guilty of doing that, but so are people in just about every other age demographic. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you add to the fact that, I mean, unfortunately, we are hearing about tragic stories um, uh, that are occurring in, in uh, young people, but they're, you know, few and far between. There is a little bit of a push to the older demographic, that 50, 60, 70, to say, okay, there is actually personal risk here. Uh, significant personal risk to be flaunting the rules, and they're still doing it even when there is a personal risk. What do you think is, is going to trickle down to a 20-year-old whose personal risk isn't zero, but it isn't particularly high? There's a number of other things that go on in their lives. Um, you know, how how do you get the messaging to that population uh, uh, if, if, again, a population that, that actually has a personal risk to this isn't necessarily following the healthcare rules. And I think we've seen this. I, you know, the big example I think we talked about, and everyone jumped to young people, was in Quebec uh, City, where this karaoke bar had a significant number of cases. The story that came out later is a good number of those people were actually over the age of 50, right? And I think yeah. off the top of our heads, we assume that this is all young people that are, that are not this is they at a karaoke bar, but yeah, a lot of them were actually in an age group that actually made them very vulnerable to COVID-19 risks, and they still did it, right? I guess the takeaway here, Doctor, is we've, we've got to be a, a little more, uh, I, I think, you know, diligent about, but, you know, let's let's look at these things. I mean, you know, these are people in that demographic, as you say, that may not have very much money. Some of them are coming from low-income families and, you know, aren't working on student loans. You can't say, i got to get an apartment all by myself and isolate myself. You usually have roommates when you're living uh, out of sight, you know, at, at a university off-site. And, uh, you know, that's that limits, you know, the possibility of doing the sorts of things you're supposed to do. So I, the, the takeaway here, there's more to the story. And I think we just have to, to look at some of those other factors as well. I'm, I'm so glad you weighed in on it uh, on social media because I think we needed to get that perspective. And I'm so glad you had some time to talk to us about it this morning. No, thanks for having me.
Great talking with you. Thanks again, Doctor. Take care. All right. Take care. Dr. Zane Chagla, of course, uh, from St. Joe's Hospital and McMaster University here in Hamilton. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Roughly one in ten public school students in the Hamilton Board of Education are not wearing masks or they're exempted from wearing them. And it's hard to tell which is which because, well, you don't need to ask or give any reason for it. You know, there are medical exemptions. We all know that. And, and I think we're cognizant of that and try to be understanding about that. But there are some students that seemingly are just not wearing them because they don't want to. Uh, Daryl Jerome is the president, of course, uh, of the, uh, the, the District uh, 21 here in the Hamilton area. He joins us on the Bill Keller Show to give us an update on this. Uh, uh, Daryl, thanks so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Bill. As, here's the thing, and, and, and again, I'm, I'm concerned about spread, and I'm concerned about you know the, the the whole program about schooling and about how things like social distancing seem to have been tossed out the window, and I, we don't really need to do that to the extent that we would in a bar or a restaurant. And you know, the example I always use is if this if that you know a nine year old child wants to go to McDonald's, they have to stand in line, they have to wear a mask until it's their turn, uh, and or they don't get served. Uh, yet in school, if you don't feel like wearing one, uh, you don't have to, and you don't really have to explain to anybody why. That that seems to be a little incongruous. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I and I know, you know, even going around in the community, we uh, our three year old wears a mask and he keeps it on quite easily when we're going into stores if we need to bring him in. So it 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 it's hard for for me where I sit and and for my members to to accept that they're in the school with so many people. Like, you can't go into an LCBO with more than 15 people, but you can go into a school with hundreds. Um, in that LCBO, everyone's wearing masks. In our schools, you're walking around seeing students without them, and we don't know if they're, you know, legitimately medically exempt or they just don't feel like wearing them. Um, my members are really concerned. Like that's, you know, that's sort of the bottom line here is we, we need to keep everyone safe, and I don't know how that's done when there's less and less people wearing masks. And, and then, as you mentioned, the social distancing is, is a concern as well, especially when you're not wearing masks. Daryl, was there ever an explanation given as to why there didn't have to be a, a, a reason for, for not wearing them? I mean, you know, if, if, you, if your child is, wants to be exempted from gym class, or for instance, I mean, you usually have to get a note from somebody uh, to, to legitimize, you know, the, the concern here. And, and again, I'm not trying to paint everybody with the same brush, but, you know, this number, about 10% of the students are not wearing them. Uh, it, it seems to me as if some of them are just, it's, it's a choice, not because of, of any medical condition or pre-existing condition. Well, yeah, and that, so the only, you know, the only rationale we were, we were told by the board, um, um, basically that public health said to the board, you know, you can't be asking for medical notes so as not to overwhelm the healthcare system, which I, I can understand. Um, we, you know, we need our doctors and our frontline medical workers to be, you know, dealing with, with actual illnesses and not writing notes. However, there, there needs to be some, something in between here where, where there's, and I don't even know what it looks like. That's that's beyond my scope. But there needs to be some recognition and some proof that is this is this is legitimate, and it's not just because I don't want to wear it. And and you know full well how teenagers are that they're going to take advantage of it. They see kids not wearing it, you know, they're going to take it off too and say, oh, I'm exempt. I'm you know I'm just like so and so there. So it's it, I I don't see this getting any better. I'm trying not to be again an alarmist here, but. I'm also, you know, wanting to protect my, my teachers so that they're going home and they're not, you know, potentially taking home um, this virus to their family. 
Well, and let's put this in perspective, uh, Daryl. I mean, we've seen a, a, a very troubling increase in the number of new cases. Mm-hmm. You know, not coincidentally, since the kids have gone back to school. That's not the only reason. We understand sure. that. But, you know, we have to remind ourselves about a couple of things. First of all, the virus never went away. Uh, you know, we, we were taking all these precautions and, and doing a pretty good job of keeping the virus under control with social distancing, etc. And and adults and kids have been coming a little sloppy about that over the last little while. That's that's part of the problem. But we're, we're increasing the chances of spread if you're simply going to say to students, you don't have to wear a mask if you really don't want to. That's that's really what the message is here. Yeah. Uh, and, and are we going to see more outbreaks in schools? I, I hope not. But, you know, you're increasing the odds by by allowing an environment like this. Well, and that's, and that's just it. I mean, and not to get into the bigger picture about, you know, what, you know, the government's response and where it should have been. The government is clearly being reactive instead of proactive and, you know, not, you know, what, what are we, what are we talking about? Scaling back on reopening, pulling back what like other countries have done. Um, but, but from my, pers- from my scope and what I need to deal with is we need to keep schools, which have the most number of people congregated together, you know, they're basically Petri dishes uh, on any given year. You talk to my members in the fall and they always get sick because it sickness spreads when you're in a confined space with a lot of bodies. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. So the less, when we have a, a, a global pandemic on and you are not wearing masks, you are just, you're just taunting the virus. I know that's not true, but you're, you're just asking for uh, the spread to increase. It, it's just illogical. Well, and precautions, you know, the sanitizer and all these sorts of things are all mm. important. We understand that at the same time. But uh, notwithstanding what, uh, the, you know, the, the guy in the White House seems to think, uh, this is an airborne virus. I mean, the doctors have all told us that. Uh, yeah. and, and, and clearly, you know, the, the White House is running the, I guess, writing the, the CDC's uh, missives now, too, which is somewhat troubling. But we can't get duped into that. We have well, to understand what we're dealing with here. Th- th- that's the, and actually, you pointed something out, and I was reading it recently. It was an article. It was an update somewhere um, that basically said, yeah, it's airborne, and, and touch is actually the minimal way it's spread. Like, that is not the primary method of spreading. It is absolutely airborne. So, yes, it's important to sanitize and to keep clean and not to touch your face and everything like that, but it's so key to, to wear those masks. Like, I, it, if, we, if we could all just do that in the schools, it would minimize that spread. It would minimize the chance of us getting shut down again. You know, we don't want to see my teachers or, you know, my members are working really hard during this, you know, r- insane time um they're doing everything they can they just want to be as safe as possible and to and to and right now they're they just have so so many concerns i just want them to be able to just do their job and uh, not be concerned about their own safety well and uh, in a situation like this is it not prudent to err on the side of caution uh, mm-hmm. because we're talking about public health and we've seen how devastating this can be i mean for god's sakes we shut the schools down in the springtime uh because of the spread the rapid spread of this and and now you've got like the double jeopardy concern here uh, of uh, we, we're heading into flu season. And, and you know what that can do to a school population. So you've yeah. got the, the possibility of COVID and spread of COVID plus the flu. Uh, you know, that's that's like a perfect storm of, of, of situations here that could, again, threaten the existence. We don't want to shut the schools down again. But are we taking well, every precaution to make sure that doesn't happen? I don't think so. You're right. And, and just and I don't want to sidetrack it, but I want to just drop this little piece of information so as it stands right now, when, when one of my members, if they're, so let's assume my, my son gets sick, he's three, and I can't take him to daycare, and I'm a teacher in a school. Um, he's showing COVID-like symptoms. Um, I'm being told uh, by the ministry, by the government, that I, need, that I should still go into work. That we are being treated differently 
education workers are being treated differently than other workers in this province. So if, if my child is showing COVID symptoms, he needs to stay home. However, I can't bring in anyone to care for him because public health is saying you can't do that. However, you're okay to go to work. It is completely uh, illogical and dangerous. It is. It is. Uh, and obviously, the, the, the boards in, in the province have to pay attention to this. I mean, the premier's always promised us that, you know, they're going to make changes as necessary. Well, I think it's about time to have that discussion uh, because we don't want to see outbreaks here in, in the school boards, especially uh, with the students and the teachers who are finding themselves in a precarious position. Uh, Daryl, let's stay in touch with this and uh, see just what kind of response. And hopefully there's there's not going to be any, you know, negative uh, consequences to this too. But uh, keep messaging on this because I think we have to make people understand just how severe the concern is here i'm trying to do i'm doing what i can bill thanks for having me on and absolutely i want to i want to see kids in class i want to see my my teachers teaching them um that's what we want but we want to be as safe as possible all right uh and you stay healthy as well thanks bill you too daryl jerome of course uh, district 21 here talking about the, the concern about masking and 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 again we, we want to reiterate here because i don't want to paint everybody with the same brush there are students uh, that have certain medical conditions. Uh, they could be asthmatic. There could be a number of other things. I know some special needs students, uh, especially somebody on the autism spectrum, oftentimes they may have problems wearing face masks. We get that. And the board understands that. And the teachers understand that. And I think they've been trying to be sympathetic about that and saying, fine, let's make accommodation for those students that are having those sorts of concerns. But there's also the element of peer pressure. And, you know, especially when you get into high school, more so maybe even in elementary school, but it exists in elementary school too. You know, if five of your friends, the, the people you like to hang out with, are saying, no, nah, I'm not wearing a mask, you're probably not going to wear one either because you don't want to be ostracized. You don't want to be the one left out and say, what's the matter with you? You know, uh, and, and you don't think that doesn't exist in the school environment. It does, which puts an awful lot of pressure on, on students unless it's the same rule for everybody. And, and I get what the board said. We did talk to the board members about this when the policy was, was being designed uh, a few weeks ago, and, and we got some very positive feedback and some stories about that from Mr. Sorensen to the board and others. Um, we don't want to put pressure on the medical, uh, medical profession. You know, have to take time to write letters and, and notes, you know, for this student or that student. Uh, that's time-consuming. And, and right now, given the scenario that we've got, uh, it's it's – problematic to be able to do that I, I get that totally but by the other token though are we putting people at risk by not doing it and and just simply saying well let's let's just hope things don't get bad and don't get worse because it's quite possible that they are going to and we don't want to see that and and the point i made here is well taken too i'm, I'm basing this on the conversations i've had with doctors uh that you know the concern here is covid and the flu which is why I know that there's an awful lot of criticism on behalf of the Premier's announcement yesterday that it was going to be a massive flu vaccine program going in place. I'm okay with that. It's not really going to help against COVID-19. But on the other hand, you know, that's that's double-barreled action. Have a flu bug that's going around and at the same time the possibility of COVID-19 and the spread there too. So anything you can do to put up a shield to try to minimize the impact that they're going to have is is the sort of thing that, that we have to keep in mind in situations like that. So uh, we're going to have to have these discussions and ongoing discussions, and it's important, it's imperative that the, the, the boards who are designing these policies uh, are, are listening to the people on the front line. 
uh, because this is this is just not say hey I didn't get a long enough coffee break or something. We're talking about uh, a, a disease that can be really problematic. And and as we've talked about, and we're finding out more about COVID all the time now. Uh, you might say, well, I only had a mild case, and, and you know, that's good because a lot of people do get it and only have mild cases. Not everybody that gets COVID has to be hospitalized, uh, and even those that are hospitalized don't always necessarily have to go onto a ventilator. Those are our worst-case scenarios. But I haven't seen any evidence right now, unless somebody's holding back on something here, that says you don't know how it's going to impact you. You might be young and healthy and figure, I can fight this bug off. I might feel crappy for a couple of days, but I can fight this off. You don't know that. I go back to the example we talked about in the last hour uh, about the, the high school player, and uh, a football player who was going into college, 20 years old, fit as a fiddle, passed two exams, had a, a total physical, of course, before the football season, uh, went back to his, his dorm and the, his roommate had COVID. And he contracted it, and a week later he was dead. That's the kind of impact it can have. You don't know. Just because you're young and strong and fit does not necessarily mean that you can fight this thing off. It doesn't always happen that way. So there are concerns. Plus the fact that we also know now that there apparently are some long-term negative impacts on your body, circulatory problems, uh, respiratory problems, uh, blood clots that can happen. And that happens in, in it has happened and been chronicled to be happening in people of all ages, not just seniors, not just the most, you know, fragile people in our societies. It can happen to others. And, you know, we need to be cognizant of that and, and take every precaution. I know that's the medical officer of health's opinion. Uh, we've heard that from Dr. Williams here in Ontario, Dr. Tam on a national basis, uh, certainly other ones that we see through the media. And we've had a number of them on the program uh, over the last nine months. And it's basically to impart that information to you, that you can't take this stuff lightly. Uh, because it is going to be harmful and could have long-term effects. And there are people that are asymptomatic that are still spreading it. I mean, they may have it, uh, not show any signs that they have it, but they could spread it to somebody else who could be more, more vulnerable. And, well, we already know what the ramifications of that are. So that's why it's important to have those discussions. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. To mask or not to mask, well, it's not really a question in some municipalities because they pass bylaws that make them mandatory. Uh, uh, the surveys that have been done nationally seem to indicate uh, that there's a pretty strong consensus that it was the right thing to do. Terry Pedwell reports. The online survey by Leger and the Association for Canadian Studies comes after several recent public demonstrations against mandatory mask wearing, even as the number of new COVID-19 cases is on the rise. 83% of respondents said governments should order people to wear a mask in all indoor public spaces, including restaurants and grocery stores, while 13% did not agree. Even more, 87% agreed that wearing a mask was a civic duty because it protects others from COVID-19. Those attitudes extended to the actual wearing of masks, with 75% of respondents saying they did so because they felt it was the right thing to do. Terry Pedro, the Canadian Press. Interesting statistic. Only about 13% of that national survey said they were opposed to wearing masks. Uh, let me segue from that to uh, the meeting that was held with uh, London City Council last night, where several members of the public who were anti-mask addressed uh, City Council members. Josh Morgan is the Council for Ward 7 on London City Council. Joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Good morning, Josh. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, 13% of people nationally uh, disagree with masks. I think most of them showed up at your meeting, didn't they? Uh, yeah, we had a few um, and heard <laughs> delegations from them, and uh, you know that's part of part of doing your job as a counselor is to, to listen to people's opinions before you make decisions. So, what did you hear last night? I mean, because uh, I know it got pretty heated at times. 
Yeah, there are a number of individuals who express concerns over uh, over the mask bylaw, um, citing different, you know, medical studies on the internet and and opinions. Um, and uh, you know, we, we listened to those, and and at the end at the end of the day, council decided to continue uh, along with the bylaw. We, we we were reviewing it because we set a check in every sixty days on it, which uh, I think was the right thing to do. Uh, um, you know, when, when you pass a bylaw that's very new, has an impact on a lot of people, it's it's good to check up on that uh, from time to time. And so we set that in place. And last night was that process, and we we heard their concerns, uh, and we continued forward with our bylaw. Was the purpose of the meeting to actually get input into the bylaw? Because I, I know that there was a lot of people that were vocal, both pro and con, about this. Uh, no, uh, it was not a public participation meeting. Um, but under our procedures, uh, any member of the public can request delegation status when an item is uh, is before council on, on an agenda. Uh, it's up to council to grant that uh, delegation request. And, and last night all of us unanimously agreed to hear the concerns from the public uh, and the members who came out. Uh, and then, uh, and then we, you know, we continued on, but that, I think that's, you know, that's a responsible thing to do. We, we, we wanted to ensure people had a voice to share their thoughts with us before, you know, before we make a vote and continue on. Uh, having spent a few years, nine specifically on Hamilton city council, I know that, uh, that one of the great ways to get feedback is an elected representatives, of course, are the phone calls into your office. Uh, what kind of feedback are you getting generally from that uh, since the bylaw has been put in place? Well, I would say that there's there's mixed feedback, uh, and, and it ranges. Uh, a majority of individuals are, are happy with the way the bylaws proceeded because a majority of Londoners are following it uh, very well. Uh, there are those, like those who came before us last night, who have concerns about the bylaw and, and masking in general. And there are also those in the community who have concerns about our level of enforcement of those not following the bylaw, whether it's uh, individual businesses or individuals um, who, uh, you know, who may not be following social distancing provisions or, or wearing masks at appropriate times. And, you know, that's more of an enforcement mechanism for us, but I, I get the, the full range of feedback uh, for sure on this. What what was the tone? I mean, I, like I say, we know it got heated at, at times. I mean, I, I've had a, a few, more than a few people calling and emailing me and texting me, of course, because of the bylaws in place in both cities, Hamilton and London, uh, and I'm getting feedback from residents in both cities right now. And, and it can get a little heated and sometimes a little personal. Uh, was it along the lines of science that they aren't effective, or, or did, did it get a little uh, lower than that, shall we say? Uh, I would say there was a mix, uh, and, and that, that can happen on an issue like this where – I think there were those who came with very thoughtful and, and respectful opinions and wanted to share them with us, um, and, and that happened. Uh, there were also those who uh, who dwelled into conspiracy theories about you know government doing this for alternative reasons, and uh, you know I think we were called a tyrannical government at one point, uh, and so there were definitely some some people who did not take you know the high road, and 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 really, it's not an effective way to get your point across. Uh, I think those who did so respectfully and with you know, facts and data and information and opinions uh, came across a lot better than those who, you know, who wanted to speak in a more heated tone. Just to back up a little bit, we should mention uh, to our listeners who may not be aware that when this debate was actually happening among yourselves on council, it was uh, the, the it was a, there was a consensus to move ahead with this. I don't think it was unanimous, but there was a consensus to, to do this, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. And, and we actually aligned our, our mask bylaw with the, the medical officer of health order to our local businesses. Uh, he issued uh, an order uh, under the emergency provisions um, for indoor masking. Uh, and what we did was we aligned our bylaw with that order. 
for for two two reasons. One, it would help us and the municipality put some resources behind the education of informing uh, people about the, the the order and the bylaw. And two, it would allow us to take a role in the enforcement on this and support the health unit and the medical officer of health with enforcing the bylaw. So he had an order and we have a bylaw that allows us to to work very closely together um, because they are aligned. And I think that approach is what led to, I think, all but one on council supporting uh, supporting our, our move in this direction. Yeah, we had Dr. Mackey on the show last week explaining to us uh, his rationale for that. And, uh, well, it made a lot of sense to an awful lot of people, I guess. What, what about the, uh, the the compliance? What are you hearing, Josh? Uh, uh, you know, because this is tied in, uh, as you know, with bylaw and a bunch of other things. You, you don't want to come down heavily on people, but at the same time, you'd like to think that there's going to be compliance. Yeah, so our municipal law enforcement officers uh, have taken a, a proactive approach and, and an education focus on this. They've visited more than 2,000 premises, uh, spoken with uh, hundreds of individuals, including employees and customers. Um, we uh, came across uh, uh, 101 people who were not um, wearing masks during those, those visits, and, uh, and pretty much all of them were provided with educational material, informed about the bylaw, uh, and then went, went, went along their way. Uh, there have been instances where we have had to beat the fines, but that comes after, after an explanation and a chance for education has happened. Um, but, it, but we certainly have, have levied fines as well. So, yeah, this is not the heavy hand. This is, uh, by the way, are you aware and, and, and give them an opportunity to, 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 co- to comply at that point, I guess? Absolutely. That, that has been our approach from the start, and that is the approach that, that our chief bylaw officer is, uh, is instructing his staff to, to proceed with. But, but there are fines for a reason, and, and at some point that type of compliance is, is needed, and so we've moved to that on several occasions. But certainly that is not the first action that's taken. You know, when we first talked to Dr. Mackey a couple of weeks ago, Josh, there was, uh, well, we, we all know about the cases, the five cases of Western students, and that has ballooned to over 20. Uh, the numbers have continued to go up in London, as they have in just about every other community here in the city. Uh, how concerning is that to you? Well, it is concerning because, uh, you know, with the numbers we want to see going in the other direction, and we, we did a very good job. You had, you had a great and, summer. But that's what I mean. The, the community did that, right? People yeah. following the provisions. Uh, we got our numbers very low, and it was great to see it tick up. Um, you know, th- that's concerning. And I think it's a function of, of people letting their guard down a little bit. You know, you, 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 maybe you have a few extra people over than you're supposed to. Nothing bad happens. You, you let your guard down. You make that a, a habit and a behavior. And then, you know, that, that happens. We, we've got um, a really cool thing happening at our uh, waste treatment plant, uh, which is uh, some research being done out of Windsor. And uh, we can actually test for COVID in uh, at, in the wastewater, and so we know that there is a presence in the community because we can we can see that it's there, um, and uh, and so although it may appear for a long period of time during the summer that things were going fine, certainly you know the virus is still uh, is still here, it's still uh, around, and it can still spread. So you can't really let your guard down on this, and I think we're we're seeing um, we're seeing the impacts of a few people doing that. I know that Dr. Mackey and his staff are tracing this, and uh, uh, obviously those numbers are going to be important going forward. The Premier's already announced uh, that they're going to tighten some things down a little bit, and, and of course that's province-wide. We've all had to comply with that sort of thing. But uh, are you concerned that, that, that the city itself may have to take some actions on its own, or, or do you feel as if the provincial uh, watchdog regulations that uh, that the Premier talked about are going to be sufficient for everybody? Yeah, well, I think tightening up the provisions that the Premier has done is, is the right thing to do, and I'm glad that he, he extended that to the entire province. At first, it was just to a few uh, regions, uh, yeah. Ottawa, Peel, and Toronto, I believe. 
Um, and, and so I think a, a wider perspective on that was appropriate. I also know in speaking with Dr. Mackey, like he's prepared to issue additional orders if necessary, and, and the municipality is there to support uh, our health officials on this. But, um, uh, you know, we've got a great contact tracing regime. We've got a great testing regime. Um, you know, we're going we're gonna to see what we can do to, to support those and ramp those up where necessary, and, um, and, you know, we'll take the actions we need to take. But it's all going to be done on the advice of, of our medical officer of health and the health officials both here and in the province. Well, the lineups at the testing centers would indicate, I think, to a lot of people uh, that uh, that there is compliance and people are concerned about what's happening. Yeah, and, and testing is great, um, uh, although there are a number of people who are getting tested, I think, also out of fear and, and are not symptomatic. And so, you know, we, we need to ensure that the, the testing is there for those who, who have symptoms who we need to, uh, we need to, to, to make that happen. Our, our testing lineups have been to the point where, you know, they're, they're a few hours long and they close you know, by midday because uh, we want to make sure we get everybody through. So there's some adjustments that have to be made there, uh, both on the education side about when to get tested as well as on the capacity side, and, and we can look at both of those. Ward 7 Councillor Josh Morgan. Josh, thank you so much for this. Uh, stay well. We'll uh, stay in touch. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks again for the time. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.